You're listening to another edition of World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM and the X-Ray Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bob Ham, and each week I highlight a local artist making noise in and around Portland or talk to the people supporting those noisemakers. Later on in today's show, I'll be speaking with Jason Tipp, the pianist who has been a member of the soul jazz ensemble Under the Lake, about the group's new album, Your Horizon 2. But first... Many of the artists that I speak to for this show cop to having grown up surrounded by music, whether that's thanks to a parent who was a musician or living in a household where the radio or a record player was on constantly. That definitely applies to my first guest, Jessica Graves. She's the child of a Christian rock artist, Annie Graves, who was a rare independent artist in that world and the head of her own label, Illumin Records. And through that experience, Jessa got to know the ins and outs of being a working musician, including popping up on stage at one of her mom's shows to sing backup. While Jessa followed in her mom's footsteps to become a musician, her sound is far from the world of Christian rock, informed as it is by post-punk and the indie scene she came of age around in the Northwest. At the same time, Jessa has held close to her roots and decided recently to resurrect her mother's old label, Illumin Records, as a gift for her mom this past Mother's Day and is using it to not only release her own music, but also to amplify the voices of women and non-binary musicians. With the release of her new EP, Deathbed, and the resurrection of Illumin Records both happening recently, I spent some time on the phone with Jessa to talk about how both projects came together and how she came to find her own musical voice. Jessica Graves, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. Oh my gosh, Bob, thank you so much for having me. Now, part of the reason we're speaking to you today is to discuss this new venture that you're starting, which is to revive, uh, if I'm hoping to say this correct, Illumin Records, which was a label that your mother used to run. Uh, well, can you tell us about where this idea began for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my mom started Illumin Records in the early 90s to release her own music independently. Um, and as I grew in my music uh, journey, um, I had a, a band in my early 20s um, and kind of realized as I was growing myself how cool it was to have a mom that had started a record label. You know, like you, you never really understand how truly unique your situation is until you take a moment to, to step outside of it. Um, I don't know many people whose moms have started record labels. I don't know about you. No, not me. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my childhood, too, like in, in examining, uh, you know, like I can remember waking up in studios. Like I've been on the road with my mom before. So um, truly a unique experience for which I'm incredibly grateful. Um, so I, you know, as I fell more deeply in love with music and in love with this this path that I have chosen or really that has chosen me um I have always wanted to continue this legacy and and revive this this record label um and you know I my drummer and I who is my my best friend is, is my drummer his name is Aaron Donald um we had been talking um a little bit and I you know had expressed to him my desire to get the label up and running and you know we both talked about how next year would be a good time we'd be through this release that we're working on right now um and then really 
uh, about eight weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Time is <laughs> time is all very blurry right now for everything. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's yeah. The days are all the same. Uh, but I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm not kidding you. I woke up in the middle of the night. I actually hit my head on my lamp because of how like abruptly I woke up. Wow. Just this, this sensation inside of me that said I needed to restart this label. I needed to do it now. And I wanted, wanted to surprise my mom with it for mother's day. Um, and so the next morning I got to work. Um, I reformed Illumin records as an LLC in Oregon. I started doing a ton of research around label structure um, and what it was going to take to get everything up and running. Um, and so we released the first track, which is Jay Graves' last um, single called Low the Morning. And that was the first release that the label had had in about 27 years. Wow. Yeah. What do you know about the history of this label? I mean, obviously, it was something your mom started up. But, I mean, was it uh, a situation where she was having struggles finding people to release her music and decided to just go and do it DIY style? Or how did this all begin? No, it's actually a really interesting... It's another one of those, like, wild, interesting stories. Um, <laughs> and I actually... I did a secret interview with my mom to get, like, a little more backstory on the label. Because, I, I mean, again, like, I was... I think when all of this was like running um, so I like secret was like secretly was like probing her with these questions of like so how did this uh, wow, like what how did it get all you know um, and so as it as it turns out my mom was cleaning offices in this building in downtown Vancouver called the Academy um, which is still there and this man in the building heard her singing and asked her for a demo. Um, and at the time, my mom had had somebody pay to have her go and record a demo. And so she was able to give this man this demo. And from there, they began a business relationship. Um, and he was her partner in creating um, a, a company actually called Shine Incorporated. And the label Illumin Records was nestled underneath shine um and it was because at the time you know releasing records not on a label was like pretty uncommon you know like the indies were just kind of starting to emerge um and if you didn't have a major label you know distribution was almost impossible so they started uh my mom started the lumen records after partnering with this man that like basically just believed in her abilities and her talents. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that incredible? I want to hear more about what sort of music your mom is. Your mom, Annie Graves, is the musician we're talking about here. What sort of music was she playing at this time? Yeah, she was actually she was a Christian rock artist. Okay. Yeah. So as you said, like as I've read about you and as you've talked about, I mean, you grew up around musicians, you grew up around this world, and it feels like it influenced you in a, in a huge way to sort of seek out your own path and seek out your own music. But when did that all start for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I begged my parents for piano lessons when I was five. So that, that was like the, my first like music education piece. 
I like fell in love with music when I was 14. Um, I, <laughs> I had an uncle that introduced me to some punk, uh, Susie and the Banshees. Um, around that time, Yaya Yaya's released Fever to Tell, and I just like became insatiable. Um, I met Riot Girl, you know, uh, fell into like the Kathleen Hanna, um, like just tree of, of bands in, in that time period. And I just like, I couldn't get enough. Um, I, at that point was teaching myself how to play guitar. I joined my first band, um, which we, our first song that we played was like a cure, <laughs> a cure song. We, yeah, <laughs> of was, course. That's a funny story. Yeah. Right. Um, so at that point I just like, I had never felt like I belonged like anywhere. And when I began to devour music and it just like became so like just intertwined with myself and my being, like I just became consumed and have since like never felt belonging in such a way and have never felt a love, um, like, like the love that I have for music. That's amazing. Yeah. You said you you know you'd had a band in high school that uh, you carried on for a number of years, and then once that band split, you started making music on your own. But I'm always curious with musicians like yourself. I mean, was it an instance where you knew exactly what sort of sound you wanted and what sort of direction you wanted to go in, or was that a period of trial and error for you before you finally found your sound? Oh man. I think that when I first started, like I was, a, I was a pretty prolific songwriter in high school, and I think at the time, I actually was trying to make a certain kind of music, um, and really, like within the last five years, uh, or actually, really, like the last three years, when I came back to songwriting, because I actually I took a huge break from writing music. Um, I had a so I, I actually, when I was in high school, I was in a, a project called Hello Copter, which was actually just me. And then I joined up with people in my early 20s, and then Hello Copter became, became a band that played around in Portland. I felt it. I felt it. broke up I like stopped I stopped playing music um and so I think that in my earlier days of writing I was I was trying to make a very particular kind of music you know I was heavily heavily influenced by AAS, uh, by things in that the like dance rock kind of like riot girl um camp and now, as as I'm writing, um, I just realized that I'm not I'm not trying to achieve any certain kind of sound, but rather just like letting letting the music manifest in whatever way it wants. Um, and so, certainly with this like with this EP that we're releasing this year, you can hear you can hear a lot of the different influences that I was brought up on 
um, but it's just like it, it's so new and it and it's so different um, from and, and certainly like getting older and having more life experience and being a better musician and uh, a few other factors impact that. But um, yeah, so I think <laughs> sorry to to come full circle and answer your question like. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was trying to achieve a sound, and now um, I am just trying to achieve writing and letting whatever sound manifest in whatever way it wants to. And it's uh, it's really, really an incredible experience that I've been having. You talked in another interview, or at least I've read about that. You know, it took a while for your first album that you released as Jay Graves to come out because you were dealing with some health issues. Is that something you can talk about? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm so super happy to talk about that. Um, it's a huge cornerstone in in my life, and um, and one of the it's an impetus for for where I am today. Um, I was. I, I was in late 17, I got really sick and I still don't know what it, what happened. My doctors still don't know what happened. Um, but it essentially became this turning point for me where I really, really decided to prioritize my mental health and my physical health. Um, and that's why marathon is called marathon. Um, at the beginning of 2018, when we, uh, we recorded marathon in 2018 um, I quit smoking. I reevaluated my relationship with alcohol. Uh, I was very fortunately was able to see a therapist, um, and was coming out of one of the most depressive periods of my life. Uh, and then I started running and in 2018, I ran my first marathon and we recorded marathon and, uh, yeah, it just, it, it, it set me off on this trajectory that I am on now and I am so, so very grateful that it happened. All along the years they go, the years they go the same Did you forget to write it down, forget to spell your name? Oh, my hands to take from you the things that mattered most Did you forget that all along that I was just your ghost. That is amazing. And, and if you get a chance to go to jgraves.bandcamp.com, you can check out Marathon. And the cover of the album is, uh, I'm guessing it's an x-ray of you, of your chest? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so when I first um, was trying to figure out what was going on with me and my health, that was one of the first tests that they, that they did was they took a chest x-ray of me. So wow. yes, symbolic, highly symbolic <laughs> and, and so very, very important. <laughs> well, I'm glad that things are on the up and up with, for you health wise. Now, uh, uh, how does your mom feel about the musical paths that you've taken? Is she, is there any friction there between you doing more secular stuff or is that, you know, she's just happy to have you out there expressing yourself? My mom has always been, and both of my parents have been extremely, extremely supportive of me, of me musically. They want me to be happy and fulfilled, and uh, that is what music does. My mom actually sang backup vocals for me at our release show 
in the fall, which was a really, really amazing experience. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she sang. Yeah, it, it, it's really neat. Our voices are also really similar, so it's like a little bit, <laughs> it's a little wild to hear us both uh, singing at the same time. Um, and certainly with this last uh, EP that we recorded, I sent um, the mastered tracks to my brother and I was like, oh my God, I sound like mom. And he was like, yeah, I wasn't going <laughs> to say anything, but this one is like especially mom sounding. So, And that kind of comes full circle because as I've read, you know, you got on stage as a, as a kid and sang back up for your mom at one of her release shows. I did. Yes. So Illumin Records did a, when my mom released her record shine, I got to wear a little tuxedo and hop up on stage with my mom. <laughs> I hope there's pictures of that around because I'd love to see that. I will send them to you because <laughs> I have them. <laughs> so as you said, you have a new EP that is set to be released this year called low, this Mo- low, the morning uh, morning being spelled. Actually, the- oh, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. I-, I probably have that wrong. That's the song. Excuse me. Yeah, Low the Morning is the first single from Deathbed, right. is, is what the EP is titled. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- that does lead to the question I was going to ask anyway, because, you know, uh, Deathbed and Mourning, because Mourning is being spelled as in, you know, you're mourning someone's loss. Is there a theme around that? What, what is the, the, the impetus behind naming those things or writing songs about Low the Morning as you did? Oh, Bob, is there ever a theme? Um, yeah, so I wrote the four tracks on Deathbed, which is, the again, the title of the EP. Um, last year, while Marathon was releasing, so um, Low the Morning was written as um, the first single from Marathon was being released. It was the last song I wrote in my 20s. Um, and... Deathbed is is a very, very specific period of time. Uh, and Deathbed is about the death of my relationship. Um, I was feeling the effects of focusing my time and attention on music. And, you know, I think that there are people in your life who are able to be supportive um of of passions and and really important endeavors and there are others that are not able to do that and that's okay um and in this case uh that relationship came to an end um and so this was i i have typed this out a few times you know in writing kind of like the narrative for this release and like these songs are the sound of my relationship dying. Wow. Yeah. Is that a difficult thing for you to consider performing these songs regularly? Once you can finally perform songs again on stage, you know, bringing up these, these, you know, obviously very impactful emotional moments in your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'll say to that, um, music is my lifeblood and it is expression and it is also catharsis. And so I think to sing these songs over and over again is I think honoring what happened in a way. Um, 
and there's a lot of, of good things and a lot of of not not so good things um, that came of that time period. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that I'd like to honor, both honor and celebrate and um, remember. And what what better way to do that than through through these songs? I don't know. Now, one of the focuses of Illumin Records that you are, again, reigniting after a number of years, a label that you started, that your mom started when she was a musician, uh, one of the focuses is to highlight uh, women musicians and artists. Uh, can you talk about some of the artists that you're working with right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got two pilot artists that have been with us since launch, um, Egg Drop Soup out of Los Angeles and Van Mary out of Austin, Texas. Um, both of these artists have worked with um, the organization that I'm also partnering with through this label launch um, and through a ton of other things, actually, um, Women That Rock. Uh, and so these folks, um, we are working with them uh, to help build this framework for what we're calling the Artist Accelerator uh, program. So it's a really, really big focus on an educational component um and like one of the one of the other reasons why i felt so compelled to restart illumin was through my own process of releasing marathon man there is like there is no definitive resource for women to release music you know i can't even tell you how many hours upon hours upon hours of research. I mean, I, I am always researching. Um, that's like, I joke that that's like my second job. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just like there's a ton of stuff out there released by men, um, which is fine. Uh, and I've used it and have taken what is applicable to me in my career and, uh, and, you know, have kind of like pulled together this like hodgepodge, of these like different frameworks. Um, but our experience as women releasing music is so different. And like, I'm a queer woman and I'm a mask presenting queer woman. And so my experience is even vastly different from other women's experience. But um, yeah, I just like, I want to help women put out music and I want to help gender non-conforming folks put music into the world because there are so many incredibly talented folks out there that deserve to be heard and i want to i want to help them get there now these two artists that you're talking about uh, van mary and egg drop soup are these folks that you met as part of this uh women that rock partnership or is these people that you heard their music and got really excited about and decided you want to work with those folks how did that come together so it's kind of like a hybrid of like all of the above. Um, Van Mary works really closely with women that rock uh, and is a personal friend of the founder of women that rock. Um, and they work together um, through a South by Southwest showcase that women that rock puts on. Um, and we got together and talked and have decided to bring them on as a pilot artist. 
Drop Soup. I actually, Egg Drop Soup is like such an amazing like band community story. Uh, I booked a tour last fall for Jay Graves and like through the like the band wireless like interconnectivity, uh, I like got matched up with this person in LA and he brought uh, or and he suggested playing with his girlfriend's band and then this turned into them coming to our show and then um, we just stayed friends and then they had some re- they made some like really awesome moves in some of their releases that they had done I think in like late 2019 and when we had started looking for a couple of folks to, to launch with us I was like oh my god I dropped soup like of course Something else that you are really, uh, that I'm really excited to see and that I'm sure you're excited about as well is the uh, Listen to Women Virtual Music Festival that is coming up uh, at the end of June. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Oh my God, I'm so excited to tell you about this. Um, Right now, Listen to Women is being featured on the Grammys website, which was like a really incredible surprise that we got over the weekend. Um, So yeah, we right now, submissions are open for Listen to Women Fest. Um, It is a two-day digital music festival that will be highlighting six emerging artists um, and two headliners. So the six emerging artists will be chosen from the applicants. Um, and based on location. Um, so we'll have international and five folks from the United States by region. Um, and yeah, it's an all women and gender non- non-conforming digital music festival. Um, we're partnered with Women That Rock and a site called Audio Assemble, um, who I actually met playing their festival plugged in in early April. Um, and it's so, like, the concept of their festival is really incredible. They offered, um, I think it was $200 for a set list. Um, and, you know, paid opportunities for artists right now. Like, that was one of the things that I really, really appreciated about the format of Plugged In. Um, and so Listen to Women is offering our artists that are selected to perform $250 for their um, 20 to 30-minute set. And then there's an opportunity for them to win an additional $250 um, through voting. Wow. So yeah. if anyone so if anyone listening is interested in submitting to be an artist for this, where should they go to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find, uh, if you go to audioassemble.com, you can find a link uh, there to sign up. You can also access the sign-up link via Illumin Records. Um, Instagram account, the link in bio. You can check that out there. Uh, you can access it via Women That Rock Instagram account uh, and also Audio Assemble's Instagram account. As exciting as all this virtual stuff is, you've played some virtual shows, you've got this virtual festival that you're helping out with. I mean, one of the things that you know, I'm sure you want to do for Illumin Records and for the artists that you're working with and for yourself is to get out there and tour and to play shows and to really you know, do the work of being a working musician. Uh, has that been uh, frustrating to feel like you, you know, 
you can't do that right now because of you know the lockdown and because everything is shut down and especially the live music industry i mean i would be lying if i <laughs> said i wasn't missing live performance um and i really feel like uh, uh, this year there was a, a i mean i can't i'm very fortunate to be in the position that i am in um and so i don't want to come off sounding ungrateful for that at all um we had an opportunity to play south by southwest west this year you know we had some some higher level um shows that were coming up that we didn't get to play um and my heart goes out to all the bands whose tours were canceled etc like i can't even imagine the disappointment and also like the economic impact um I cannot wait to play music on a stage again. Um, I think that it's one of the differentiators for my musical project as well. Um, our live performance is really, really uh, connecting. And there's a ton, a ton of a really special kind of energy that happens in the room when we get to play. Um, so I, what I have told myself is that this is an opportunity to diversify and to innovate um, and I'm still trying to think about other really cool ways to connect with people through music and in the digital space, because, you know, I think that this pandemic and this crisis has really highlighted a lot of things that have been broken and have been broken for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, again, like I see it as an opportunity to, to really think about other really, really cool things that we can do um it's also an opportunity to focus on musicianship and get really good so that when it is time to hit that stage again like our live show could be even better than it was before you know writing new music and um yeah i i like even thinking about it right now and trying to answer this question for you i'm like man i really i like can't wait like ugh. yeah i miss it so much well, if anyone wants to hear some music from my guest, Jessica Graves, jgraves.bandcamp.com is the place to go if you want to keep track of what she's doing, future live dates will hopefully be happening in the near future, and uh, watch videos of her work, jgraves.xyz is the place to do that, and uh, Illumin Records, is it only on Instagram right now? Is there a website for that? Oh, yeah, IlluminRecords.com. We've got Instagram. We've got Facebook. We've got a Spotify. We've got all the things. Jay Graves also um, on Spotify, on Facebook, on Instagram. Please come say hi. Um, you can also reach out to Illumin Records if you're interested in getting involved in any kind of way. Hello at IlluminRecords.com. I will read every single message that anyone sends me. And I love connecting with people and I love hearing um, how they found their, pa their path to music. Um, if you've got music that you want me to hear, I'd love to hear it. Like I, I just want to be connected to, to this community in every way that I can be. So please reach out. Jessica Graves, thank you so much for being on the show today. Bob, thank you so much. This is so much fun and I, I really appreciate you. And thanks for bringing musical hope during these times. We all need it. Whatever your feelings about smooth jazz or soul jazz or funk jazz or whatever you want to call this version of jazz music that my next guest Jason Tip plays with his band Under the Lake, 
there's no way around the fact that it is a dedicated audience, one that has kept Under the Lake and its musicians going for the past two decades. But as appreciation for these sounds waxes and wanes, groups like Under the Lake hold firm to these soulful sounds, and their love for the music is evident throughout the group's latest album, Your Horizon 2. The new record is something of a reunion, bringing back together the four core members of the group, including saxophonist Quentin Gerard, who, as you'll hear in a moment, reconnected with his off-again, on-again bandmate during a live radio interview. And with this group in mind, Tip crafted a batch of fresh material, and for the first time, pulled out a couple of cover songs from his back pocket for the band to have their way with. Now that Your Horizon 2 is out in the world, I reached out to Jason Tip to talk about this long-standing project, tackling well-known songs like Steely Dan's Josie, and what he sees as the still-strong divide between the various styles of jazz in the world. Jason Tip of Under the Lake, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. Oh, thank you, Robert. I appreciate your interest and for having me on. How have you been holding up in the midst of this pandemic? Uh, well, it's uh, you know I think it's been challenging for every everyone in one way or another. Um, I, I travel a fair amount for business, and so it's been a little bit different to be home. That's actually been a little bit of a silver lining uh, to be home more than usual. Um, on the other hand, uh, being a musician and performer, it's a little bit challenging because, uh, you know, we can't be out there in front of the audiences and, and, and seeing people and meeting people. Um, so it's a little, it's a little bit mixed. I, um, uh, feel fortunate that I live in a wonderful community like Portland, um, where folks, um, uh, act very thoughtfully in, in situations like this. Um, and, uh, and it's a beautiful day in Portland today. So I, I guess I can't complain too much. Have you been able to remain busy creatively during this period? Yeah, again, uh, kind of silver linings. We just released our new album. It's called uh, Your Horizon 2. It's our fifth album uh, going back over more than 25 years. And uh, that came out uh, early March, just before sort of all of this uh, hit. And we all uh, got restricted to, to uh, you know hanging out at home. Uh, so we've been able to focus a little bit more on uh, the promotion of that release, uh, it's given us a little bit more time to spend, you know, connecting with fans online and, and doing some of that work. Um, again, the downside is no live performances. Uh, although we did take advantage of the time to do some, I guess you would call them live collaborations. Uh, they're, they're not really live performances because we recorded them each uh, indiv- individually in our home studios. Uh, and the, the members of the band are uh, strewn all across the country from New Orleans to San Diego and up here uh, to, to Portland. But we released a couple of video performances that are uh, live individual recordings and then, uh, you know, put together as single performances. And, and, you know, that's been interesting and fun for us to do. I want to start by going back to the beginning. You say this band has been together for at least over 20 years. At least this project started over 20 years ago. What was the genesis of Under the Lake? Uh, well, I, um, I've i been a musician um, since I was a child. I, I probably started on my first instrument when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And um, 
have always uh, been a musician and performer and, 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 and done something. Um, and it was sort of after my college years and starting my professional career that uh, things kind of came together for, for me to take a bunch of material that I had been working on and writing for myself and, and get together a group of musicians to record the first album. And that was released in 1993. Um, it's funny, I think back, my, my kids are uh, 25 and 28 now, and uh, the band started just between, one of, them, one of them was around the house and the other one was not yet um, a thought in our, our minds at the time uh, the band started. And like most uh, groups out there, I mean, if you go onto Wikipedia and you read the history of lots of famous groups who have been around a lot longer, um, you know, it was one, one group of guys at that time, um, several of whom I stay in touch with. And that membership evolved as we released our second album um, and eventually our third album and, and, you know, now up to our fifth album. But uh, I've been working with the, the same bass player, drummer and saxophone player for um, Oh, well, well over 20 years um, in the group. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much time we are apart. We're such good friends and work together so well. And the chemistry is so strong that, um, uh, you know, that we're able to do this uh, across the expanse of time, if you will, and, and distance. Now, one of the storylines about the uh, recording of your new album, Your Horizon 2, was about getting your saxophone player, uh, Quinton, back into the fold. Can you tell us about how that came together? Yeah, sure. So, we, you know, we've all, um, this, this hasn't been something that has been uh, the main focus for, for all of us over our careers. Um, uh, there's a couple of us who have, sort of professional lives outside of music that we engage in or have engaged in over the last 20 plus years. Um, there's a couple of the, the guys who are uh, active touring professional musicians who work all the time with a variety of different groups. And so, you know, we kind of, um, we kind of uh, are on different cycles. And so we kind of bump into each other every, every so often. And, um, there had been a, a period of time from about 2007 until 2013 when uh, the band really wasn't active. I wasn't active. Um, we weren't really doing much with the group. We had released an album in 2007, hadn't done much after that. And I started to put the pieces back together here in Portland with some uh, Portland musicians um, and great talent here in Portland, fantastic, talented people here in Portland. And we recorded uh, the band's fourth album with uh, a different uh, a group of, of talented musicians back in uh, 2017, um, released it in early 2018. And in the course of promoting that album um, on a live uh, interview show, uh, the saxophone player who I mentioned earlier, Quentin, Quentin Gerard, uh, called in. And uh, it was funny, he asked a question. It was one of those uh, interview shows where, you know, people can call and ask a question. He asked a question. I was like, wow, that voice sounds really familiar to me. And uh, we hadn't talked in, you know, probably six months or a year at that point. Been, we'd been out of touch for a while. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, it was just like no time had passed and we're we're, you know, talking and, and frankly, consuming the interview time, just, just reconnecting. And, uh, you know, we went back to the interview, completed the interview. 
And then uh, as soon as I hung up from that call, I called him back and I said, look, this is, you know, it's just been too long. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start thinking about uh, recording new material. Let's, let's do this together again. And uh, within a, and, and I, you know, frankly, didn't have a timeline or a plan at that point. And within a couple of days, Quentin calls me back and he says, well, I took you seriously. I've already reached out to everybody else. So everybody's on board. So when, when are we going to do this? Um, and he's just that guy. He just gets totally motivated about it. So um, it did take a little bit of work. You know, people were on the road. People were, uh, were, were on tour and um, had other things going on. But we were able to find time um, in the studio late in actually. Uh, so this, this current project's been uh, in progress since late 2018. I think we did our first uh, session around Halloween of 2018 um, and then finished it up um, about a year ago over the course of the summer, kind of put finally final touches last fall and, and, and got it, you know, wanted to be thoughtful and plan well for the release and got it out this spring. I do want to talk a little bit about Quentin Gerard that, you know, as we talked about, you know, the world has kind of shut down due to the coronavirus, uh, which has been, you know, both good and bad for uh, the release of a new album like yours. But even worse than that was that Quentin uh, contracted the coronavirus and was sick for some time. Uh, th- gratefully, he's recovered. But I mean, how was it to to know that your friend was going through this? Uh, well, <clears throat> you know, um, I think it would have been worse had I actually known what was going on when it was going on. Um, oh, wow. What, what, what happened um, was uh, 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 Quentin just kind of fell off uh, the radar for about two weeks. Didn't hear from him. Then um, I just assumed life got busy, right? Because that happens, you know, for all of us from time to time. And, you know, after about 10 days, I sent him a text and said, hey, uh, you know, it's been like 10 days and you haven't responded to my text and other, you know, there's been some other conversations going on is, you know, is everything cool? Is everything. And then like two days later, he came back and he's like, Oh, I, I have been, I've had it. I've, I've, I'm just, I'm like just now able to get out of bed. I've been, I've been down. I've been off my feet for two weeks. And um, luckily his, as I recall him sharing with me, his situation never got, so severe that he was hospitalized um but um yeah he said it was the you know worst experience he had from from a health standpoint uh ever and it was you know it it even was after that time when he was feeling well enough to communicate and interact it was still probably another couple of weeks before uh he felt like he had enough uh breath to start playing his saxophone again and um you know and so we talked about that but he's in he lives in outside of new orleans um, and so, you know, I, it, I can't imagine for others what it's like to be in those parts of the country where it's particularly intense. Now, to turn back to the new album, Your Horizon 2, on this record, you pay tribute to a couple of artists that were clearly influential to your work, the Stylistics and Steely Dan. Um, I'm always curious, how do you go about approaching cover songs like that, especially one like Steely Dan's Josie, which is probably one of the band's best known songs? Thank you. 
Yeah, it, historically, um, we haven't recorded uh, covers. We've done original material, and this is the first time, um, you know, our albums generally have 12 to 14 tracks on, so it's a lot of tunes we've recorded, and this is the first time when we've, we've done covers. Um, we've, we've performed covers live, um, and we like to do it if we think that we have something interesting that we can bring to it, um, you know, either from an arrangement standpoint or a performance standpoint. Um, and Josie, uh, Josie's a, a song uh, we've been performing off and on for a very long time. It's one of my favorites. Steely Dan is a huge, huge influence. Um, and uh, it, it's just, it's just one that just really felt natural. And um, the song uh, gives us an opportunity to just give a nod to a, a major influence, at least for me on songwriting. And I think overall the band's sound. Um, the stylistics was a was kind of a uh, tune people make the world go round. Was kind of an interesting one, more so uh, in that I, I really love the stylistics um, and you know sort of more an R and B influence. Um, it just uh, we tried it. Uh, you know we've tried other um, top uh, forty, if you will, R and B tunes from that same period of time that are equally interesting from an arrangement or a songwriting standpoint or a melodic standpoint. Um, and they didn't quite work the same way, but this one, just uh, the combination of um, the rhythms of it, the, 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 the rhythm, the rhythmic uh, influence of, of the baseline. Um, it's got some time signature changes in it that are interesting that just seem to really work well with, um, with the group and how, how we were performing it. It's probably not the typical tune uh, we would cover. It doesn't necessarily um, uh, um, sort of relate well to a lot of our other material other than we're doing a, you know, what I would say is a pop soul kind of uh, uh, approach to jazz. You know, we're not doing straight ahead. We're not doing um, bebop or something, uh, you know, particularly mainstream jazz. It is that we are doing a, pop heavily pop uh, or soul influenced uh, version of jazz if you will now how does the songwriting process start for you when you're thinking about originals uh, is it uh, you know a melody that you hear in your head that you decide to tease out is it working through you know jamming or improvisation how does this all begin well it's a it's a, it's a little bit of all of the above and it, it kind of depends on the song um, I tend to be um, fairly uh, productive uh, creatively in, in terms of songwriting. I can sit down with when I've got a few minutes and nothing going on and, and just start to noodle around and, and typically some idea will come together. Now it might end up being something that, um, you know, is just like an exercise, right? It might just end up being something I do to work out, um, you know, particular technique. Um, sometimes it ends up being, you know, insipid, <laughs> and something that gets thrown out. Um, uh, or, you know, I, I in, uh, unintentionally end up basically rewriting a song that already exists. I, I listen back to it and I go, oh, that, that's exactly this, or it's exactly that, or that sounds just like this other song that I wrote 20 years ago, um, just in a different key or some reharmonization. Um, but most of the time, uh, most of the time I hear some sense of a melody in my head, 
along with the uh, chord structure uh, beneath that. And I'll typically be playing the chords around it. Um, sometimes the melodic, the, 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 the melody sticks uh, uh, ultimately as the song is written and rewritten and developed. Um, but probably 70% of the time, the melody that I start with is thrown out um, because it, it, it was the, it, 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 you know, ends up getting developed as the song develops and kind of has a life of its own. Um, you know, you go from that melody might've been the training wheels that, that originated the idea. Um, but then it starts to, to develop into something more. The style of music that you play, as you refer to it as, you know, sort of more of a pop R and B style of jazz. Um, it's an area of music that, I feel like there was, you know, for a number of years, kind of a divide between, you know, the folks that played music like yours and appreciated this and then sort of the jazz purists that sort of stuck in the, you know, bop, free, uh, post-bop kind of realm. Um, but I feel like that divide is becoming, uh, is, has been lifted over the years. Is that something that you get a sense of as well, is that there's not so much of a disconnect between these two areas of jazz? Um, I think there's still... I, I think that there's a disconnect in the community of musicians more so than the, than in the uh, consumer or music listeners mind. I think music listeners listen to a com continuum of uh, performers and styles and, you know, uh, individual songs, if you will. Um, you know, I might like, like one song from an artist, but virtually none of the other material they do. And, and, um, uh, so I think I think that's less problematic. In fact, if you go to Pandora, if you go to Spotify, if you're a user of one of those, and you, know, you start start getting the recommended material from them, I think as a as a consumer, you get you know pretty broad diversity of of content. But on the it, on the industry side of things, I I still think there are um, I, I don't I want paint everybody with the same brush, but I, th I think there are pockets of the industry where um, folks who, you know, they think certain schools of jazz are serious jazz um, and uh, probably think of, you know, think of smooth jazz as a uh, uh, somewhat derogatory term um, or contemporary jazz. And now, you know, there's sort of all these hyphenated versions of jazz that, as I say, are more on the pop soul uh, spectrum of things. Folks will say smooth jazz. They might say soul jazz. They might say new jazz. They might say funk jazz. Um, kind of starts to move over into fusion, and there are probably things that characterize fusion as being less um, less radio format fr friendly in jazz, if you will, to um, you know more serious jazz, which is uh, you know tends to dominate. Um, at least in the, um, the, the sort of the university radio station formats for, for jazz. Um, and I do find, you know, uh, performers who are from the more traditional jazz fields who um, are not interested in uh, doing smooth jazz. And, you know, the reality is uh, it's not, it's not about talent and it's not about technique, at least in my experience. Um, there are some very, 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 very well-educated, very experienced, very talented, very technically proficient performers across the spectrum. 
Um, and some people just express themselves in uh, a, a, a particular way that better aligns with bebop or smooth jazz or something in between. Um, and, and I think, I think that comes from the artist uh, and what they're trying to express more often than not. Um, I think the historical divide was about, um, you know, some of the pop forms. And I think this is, yeah, I think this is a fair critique. Some of the pop forms over the last 20 or 30 years of jazz have been um, formulaic, not particularly interesting. Um, so those get labeled as, you know, commercial or, or sellout. Um, but I think that's, it's probably unfair to a lot of artists. And um, for two reasons, one is it's not probably a, a fair reflection of the talent and skills of, or the work that the artist had to put in to achieve their success. Um, and, and the second thing is, is I, I hate to critique anyone for doing something that allows them to be successful and earning, earn a meaningful living um, as an artist uh, in their chosen profession. And even though it might not be my cup of tea, um, you know, uh, I just, I think that, I think it's hard to, uh, to critique someone, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use an obvious example um, that we've, you know, if you, you can do an online search, you can see it. Um, an artist that I idolized have for most of, most of my um, years since being a teenager is Pat Metheny. Just awesome. Uh, uh, artist, musician, just all along the, you know, the spectrum of things, Total, uh, you know, huge influence. I've loved his music for a long time, loved his band, loved it's sort of like I, one of the biggest uh, in my collection, probably alongside of Steely Dan. And there is a, uh, there's a famous kind of back and forth or, or, or I probably call it a rant of Pat Metheny about uh, Kenny G. And it's probably 10 years old, maybe, maybe older than that. And it, and um, certainly in community, there's lots of um, commentary and observations that have been made about Kenny G's success, you know, to now quite a few years ago, right? Um, and, and regardless of one, what one might think of the material that allowed him to achieve his level of popular success, um, you know, I don't want to take anything away from how hard anyone had to work to achieve that level of success and good on them. Good for him. You know, whether I like his music or not, good for him. I, I love it anytime a musician can make a, a good living uh, doing what they love to do. Now, you have on your website, there are some gigs listed for, you know, June and July, but that seems really impossible at this point. But, you know, do you have a sense of what your plans are for the rest of the year, what things look like, or is everything still uncertain at this point for you and the band? Yeah, I think everything's, uh, you know, hugely up in the air and fluid. Um, the dates that are on the schedule are just the dates that haven't yet been canceled in my mind. Um, and uh, they might get preserved, but I think it's relatively unlikely uh, that we'll be back in front of audiences before this fall. So I think our focus is going to be on, um, you know, moving the work forward on the material for the next album, maybe even getting back in the studio and recording and then, um, you know, continuing to support the album that's out now. We've got a, um, we've got a, a second single that's going to be promoted 
start marketing that, um, looking for radio stations to pick that up um, mid-June. Um, uh, that, that song is called Side Two. It's, uh, it's the second single from the album that, that we're marketing. And, um, you know, and, and that will probably be 8, 12, 16 weeks of support for that single. So that will take us through the summer. Um, you know, we'll just, we'll just focus on, on making the most of this album and, and hopefully being in a position to uh, start getting in front of audiences as, as soon as possible. Well, I look forward to that too, and I hope everyone else does as well. If you want to follow uh, the future of Under the Lake and hear their music, underthelake.com, their new album, Your Horizon 2, that's T-O-O, is out now, available in physical form, and you can hear it digitally all over the internet. Jason Tipp, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Well, thanks again, Robert. Again, really, really appreciate your interest in what we're doing. That about does it for this week's edition of World of Noise. Thank you to my guests, Jason Tipp and Jessa Graves, and thank you so much for tuning in. Join me next week when I'll be speaking to the bluegrass and folk artist Kristen Granger about her new album Ghost Tattoo and the hip-hop duo Eastern Sons who are about to release their politically-minded new record Fuel for a Fool's Errand. Again, that's next week on World of Noise, so until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>